the final episode of the series. This week, the final episode of the series is a gentle introduction to cloud computing. Computing, a gentle introduction, I hope. This is your host. My name is Peter Pilgrim. I'm an independent contractor living in England. I work as a platform engineer on a cloud native platform for a very important client presently. So let's start with a an agenda. First up, the agenda for today. This episode is about cloud computing. I'm going to get into the idea of the history of this important movement from personal computing, processing, even mainframe computing and cloud computing's precursor called grid computing. I'll talk about the various service models of cloud Computing, including IIS, PaaS, and SaaS, IAS, PaaS, and SaaS, as it's known, the constituent elements of the cloud as we know it today, and some positives and negatives of using the cloud computing as your business model, and why you may not have any choice in the matter. So let's get right on to cloud computing. And it's, I would say, cloud computing is a reinvention of old ideas. So what does that mean? It is essentially distributed computing uh, where we have an application, an enterprise application, Usually not simple, but not, and hopefully not overly complicated, which communicates, which has constituent parts. It's made up of microservices or microservice functions and elements, and they're all brought together and communicate over a network, and hence... Uh, there is some kind of order going on, some information, data flow, and this provides the behavior. And, and it happens over a network, so it is a form of distributed computing. Uh, so cloud computing is uh, an old idea, uh, as old as essentially uh, computer networks. So what's the difference here? The difference is is that it's a marketing term, the idea of cloud. Obviously, you don't have cumulus and 
stratospheric clouds operating in the digital domain of the internet. It's a metaphor for machines that are scalable and on demand. And the idea is that you can optimize your resources and such that it fits a business model that is compatible with pay as you go. I did say it's complicated and this is a gentle introduction, I promise. Uh, Essentially what cloud computing is, is uh, uh, instead of, say, you have a data center sitting inside your business or in next to your or you're sitting uh, with uh, say 50 PCs surrounded by your desk at work these 50 PCs and I'm simplifying this idea are scattered about the internet or inside your company's network. And that's the idea. You are normally used, uh, most people are used to operating one computer. Uh, in In the cloud, the big idea is that imagine if you have these 50 um, personal computers and imagine if you were running a championship manager on all of these 50 personal computers. Uh, suppose this championship manager. Now, let, let's, let me describe championship manager. It's the idea where you can pretend to be a, an application where you can pretend to be a football manager or a soccer manager. And it works in the way of the Sims. It's a simulation. It's multiplayer and... Essentially, you can have this application running on these 50 PCs and suppose you wanted to uh, have add some servers, another 50 servers to this uh, multiplayer application, for example, for around the Christmas time and you want to say, uh, I want to take care of the possible demand that more players will be interested in playing the game during the holiday period. Uh, you can do that uh, uh, with the cloud through an idea su- such as scalability. This means that it, almost by magic, you will have the resources, the extra 50 servers that you need to keep your application running um, and the users, the consumers, the people playing your game satisfied with no outages. So I'm going to throw in another term here called HA, 
Hotel Alpha for high availability. It describes uh, an architectural concern, a non-functional requirement, such that an application has availability if more and more people uh, start to use it, which is proportional to the system input load and that it can still function uh, accordingly and well without um, uh, failure or performance uh, um, outage. Okay, so let's wrap this up in cloud computing then. So cloud computing, as I said, has a history. Uh, I will describe the history now. So once upon a time in the 1950s, in the 1940s, uh, if you wanted to uh, have some business application, uh, it would work on a mainframe. And this was usually a machine uh, with thousands of uh, electrostatic valves. Um, It might have had transistors in it. So the idea then is that you had, you didn't even have a cathode ray tube. You had some sort of printer, a teletype. And this thing was directly connected to that computing. So if you wanted to uh, ha- to, to use a computer, what you had to do was organize some time where you could borrow, say, one hour of computing time to compute the payroll of the company or do some kind of report. Uh, so this idea of cloud computing it illuminates the idea of time sharing or working applications in in a way that is efficient such that such that it's a shared resource uh, so once upon a time in d- the way we used to do computing in the 1950s uh, was through a process called batch processing. And so this is uh, another uh, important idea because uh, essentially and to the 1970s uh, and to time real-time sharing was invented. Uh, We use computers by uh, specific allocation of hours. And and then somehow a a couple of people invented this idea of putting a cable to connect one computer to another and create the first network computer network 
and then connect that network to the telephony system, which allowed people to use uh, a computer in another part of the country, uh, even internationally, down the phone line. And what this did was uh, bring computing to uh, make it commoditized in a way so that more and more people and more businesses could uh, take advantage of fundamentally uh, a very, very expensive resource. Once upon a time, mainframe computing uh, costs um, in the millions of pounds and dollars. And now um, what we have in our hands, such as smartphones, are uh, a billion times faster than some of these mainframes and cost a fraction of the original mainframes. Um, and that shows you the growth of the techno of technology and the silicon chip. But I digress. Um, the other thing that I should say, uh, especially about cloud computing, uh, is that, oh, we had in the, in the late 19 or in the mid 1970s and throughout the 1980s, uh, the home computing, personal computing boom, which meant computers could sit inside somebody's house for the very first time. Um, and then, you know, computers became ubiquitous. The Apple Mac, Macintosh came out, the, the PC came out, um, various home computers like the Spectrum, the BBC Micro um, were invented and created. And personal computing really advanced up into the modern day personal computer and tablet, uh, including phone. So personal computing is also part of cloud computing's uh, story where things got interested is in scientific research uh, you may have heard of the SETI project which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence SETI and one of the ideas that this group of scientists had uh, in California is that they noticed that there were so many of these PCs, IBM PC and compatibles, sitting in offices uh, all about the Western world. And they said to themselves, what if we could write a program that utilize these PCs that were sitting on uh, these office PC desks 
and calculate and do a bit of scientific research. Now, for those of you who are very experienced, you'll notice that there are security um, problems and, of course, Lots of people will have a lot of problem, uh, especially with spying and hacking of their on a PC or on a tablet or right now. But back in the in the day in the late nineties, uh, nineteen ninety eight, early noughties, this was a novel idea that you can have some kind of calculation and computation on PCs when people had left them for the day. Uh, And and one of the ways that SETI uh, came about with their program is that they would take advantage of screensavers. So screensavers were, were invented to save the phosphors of cathode ray tubes or the pixels of a liquid crystal display uh, or of OLEDs back into the day because what would happen if you left your PC or cathode ray tube on, it would burn holes into your monitor. Um, so the novel idea of that I describe about SETI is the idea of grid computing where you have a calculation and through the algorithm of divide and conquer, what you do is uh, with this algorithm, you feed your algorithm and split your data and distribute the payload and a bit of the algorithm to each of those PCs and then once these PCs have calculated their data they need to send that data back to someone or somewhere on the internet and and of course um, don't screw your eyes about the security and hacking um, standards that we have then so this is where distributed comes in. So once these packets were and, and calculations and results were uh, collected, they could be assembled and sent back to the SETI headquarters and we assembled and hopefully the search for inter- extraterrestrial intelligence would move further ahead so it is a a form of grid computing Um, so these are the precursors to cloud computing because in that model what we had uh, was distributed computing the idea of doing work remotely and sending that data and payload to machines on the internet or some computer network, assembling the data, uh, aggregating the results and and then presenting that or saving that for analysis for the user. So cloud computing uh, took that 
model even further than grid computing that that Sun Microsystems had in in their beginning, uh, especially a person called Jeff Bezos, who worked at and still is the chief executive of Amazon. And his great idea was consumers don't have to generate their own electricity or supply water utilities. So he asked the question, why generate your own computing? In other words, could computing be commoditized? And cloud computing really started with uh, something from Amazon Web Services called Elastic Compute Cloud. Uh, And that is the idea that these sort of, these services, these virtual uh, personal computers which sit in cyberspace, which is an ancient term now, um, but they sit on the internet uh, and could be uh, effectively spun up, as we say in the platform engineering world. You can instantiate one uh, and have a PC operating within minutes and that pc uh, has uh, an ip address it has uh, networking has some firewall security group an operating system uh, and and essentially can be provisioned with an image so i'm already getting technical here So what makes cloud computing really uh, important is that for the first time when uh, Amazon uh, announced AWS, Amazon Web Services, it offered this EC2, Elastic, Elastic Cloud Compute Platform, where you can have a, these Amazon machine images instantiate them and you can run your application and you can and these uh, AMIs Amazon machine images instances would be effectively managed by um, a cloud provider as Amazon web services is so you can uh, instantiate and start running a number of instances in the cloud somewhere that is remotely on Amazon's data centers and you have no idea where exactly these uh, virtual personal computers are running I'm slightly jumping ahead here, but you can say, at least from Amazon's web service model, oh, this, uh, these images or these nodes are running 
in America or they're running in Europe or they're running in the Asia-Pacific region of the world or, or, or in Asia. The other thing, uh, as I said, it's elastic, so that means that you can start these uh, virtual PCs or VPCs, um, instant and so scale, horizontally scale and vertically scale your uh, uh, infrastructure, but you can also scale it down with a with a button by a click of a button, and that's important because suddenly your business model changes such that you if you if you have a requirement for only ten servers then that's fine. If suddenly your business suddenly doubles and you've get and you have doubled the demand, then you can effectively double the amount of service that you need for your application. And if demand then falls away to say only that you need five service and then you can strip back those serve VPCs back down to five or six. Um, and so it's on demand means that you it's the cloud computing model is pay as you go or as a subscription. Uh, final piece is... Uh, before cloud computing, uh, most businesses, uh, uh, Fortune 500 and certainly investment banks uh, took great stock in having their own data service, service, servers somewhere in a building outside of the capital city. Uh, in or inside a managed server farm. And this is not quite the same as the cloud. It simply meant that having you installed your enterprise application in a data server somewhere, data center. Uh, if you are um, in the top tier of fortune 500 companies you probably could own a data center and have your application you might have to have two of them or at least uh, at least two of them so to handle data recovery and disaster recovery with the cloud your data centers are now in cyberspace they're out there in on the internet and your data center uh, is virtual uh, you have a security group which means that these servers 
are not allowed to communicate outside the the virtual private network, the VPN. And these VPCs uh, will have uh, fundamental security. They will be uh, have uh, some firewall rules. So the outside internet is not allowed to communicate with these servers, obviously, because they're in the cloud. So I'm getting a little bit technical here. Uh, and the reason why you have a firewall is like uh, you have uh, a firewall on your Windows uh, PC to protect you, like Kapersky or Windows Defender, to protect you from hacking. Uh, these uh, servers that you write there, uh, if you want to communicate with them, then you need to open some ports such as port 80 for HTTP or port 443, 443 for HTTPS. Uh, yeah, so I was talking about the different types of cloud or at least what cloud means to me. Uh, the advantage of cloud, at least which goes beyond the grid computing model, is that it's virtually instantaneous. Uh, you can scale up on demand. You can uh, uh, have an overview, a dashboard, uh, and see these virtual personal computers running on inside your private network. Um, more important is that Amazon Web Service is a public cloud. That means your data and your virtual PCs uh, are out there on the public internet and they can be regionalized. So if you only want to have your VPC in either the western half of the of the Americas region or the eastern half of the American region or just running in London in the UK region or or in Ireland for that region or further into continental Europe or in Africa or Australasia, you can configure where your VPC works. And the other way is if you really have enough money, and I say considerable money or your business has considerable money uh, that it has, say, data centers throughout a region, throughout Europe, for example, then in theory, uh, you can have a private cloud. And I say business um, very loosely. Um, governments 
may choose to uh, have a specific region or the European Union may have their own providers or uh, preferred supplier providers of cloud. Um, yeah, so certainly big business will, will be able to have this idea of a private cloud where uh, for the data protection regions, if you are able to uh, take something like Pivotal Cloud Foundry or OpenStack or one of the off-the-shelf solutions, uh, OpenShift, Red Hat OpenShift, then in theory you can deploy that in your own data center and just provide a private cloud. Um, so I've covered a lot about cloud and so let's just have a break and we're t in the next part we'll talk about the types of cloud computing. Okay. Okay, welcome back. So we talked about the different types of service models in cloud. Uh, it's on demand. You can scale up horizontally, vertically. Uh, you just pay as you go. You buy electricity, telephone or internet access from a utility company. And if you didn't, and you just treat this your computing platform for your enterprise application in the same um, uh, respect and, and idea. You're just paying for a service in, and therefore this service is managed for you. You do not have to worry if the data center goes down, vis-a-vis Amazon Web Service or now Microsoft's Azure and Google's uh, 
cloud compute platform that has nothing to do with your business model anymore. Um, you can have a public cloud or private cloud and also a hybrid of the two if you so design your infrastructure around your applications, your microservices, your microservices applications like that. So types of cloud computing, the different models. As I said, Amazon Web Services was the very first one. And they created this thing called uh, Elastic Cloud Compute, otherwise known as EC2, and allowed you to uh, install a machine image, an Amazon machine image, an AMI, and it's uh, a, a Linux or a version of Linux such as Ubuntu, Red Hat, CentOS, um, you know, these sort of uh, Linux distributions, uh, and then spin up these uh, virtual personal computers and and then if you and this is known as infrastructure as a service IAAS and it means that this is the raw platform to uh, execute uh, on the cloud that means you, you are effectively taking supreme control of these virtual uh, private computers, personal computers, and you will be able to uh, administer them as you will. Uh, you when uh, whenever you, uh, at least in the most cases, once you have um, these AMIs, and if you choose from the paid tier and not the free tier that you can have on, on Amazon. So let me explain. Um, Amazon have this thing called the free tier, which is really tiny um, uh, servers or tiny machines. So your it will have only two cores, um, of course, if you want a su supreme power, you want uh, VPCs that are medium or large or combination of both. They have uh, a certain amount of disk space, um, number of cores uh, that you can execute your enterprise application and of course the more power you have the more you have to pay for monthly for per megabyte per gigabyte that you use the services however with power you have control which is why infrastructure as a service is it's important for say um, businesses where they need optimal control uh, of the the operating system and the layers that go onto these virtual private services in AWS and that means that you are uh, as a 
infrastructures uh, platform engineer. Uh, you are allowed to uh, SSH, uh, securely uh, execute a shell and connect to these machines, have a look around them. For example, if you are executing, say, Ubuntu, that means you can set up a proxy and then start downloading applications using the uh, APT, the manager, to pull in, say, Nginx or Apache or MySQL, Postgres, uh, these kind of software that you need to get an application running, and so that might be Java, Ruby, uh, PHP, and essentially you're building everything from scratch. So that's infra- infrastructure as a service. It gives you maximum control, the operating system, the applications that run on this, uh, uh, and the packages that run in, on this image. Uh, the next step up is platform as a service. Uh, in this model, you do not have uh, control of the actual operating system that executes on these uh, virtual private uh, uh, P- VPCs. Uh, and a good example of this is Heroku. Uh, which uh, you, which they will uh, provide a a something called a pass, so that you can install or deploy a Java application or a Scala application or a PHP or a Ruby application, uh, and that uh, allows you to even though you do not have control of the actual underlying operating system, you can still deploy, say, a Java enterprise application there, and it will have a database. You can add a database. You can add certain uh, enterprise-compatible applications to that path, so like... um, uh, message queue, RabbitMQ, um, you might add, be able to add um, a, a caching layer, um, a monitoring software. Essentially, y- y- you have everything that you need to execute your enterprise application inside this thing called a as a platform. Uh, a great example of this pass idea is Pivotal's Cloud Foundry, which allows you to execute Java or Spring Framework, Spring Boot applications, uh, and then Pivotal uh, and Cloud Foundry adds something called build packs, uh, such as Java, Redis, ActiveMQ, um database um, build packs um, stuff that you would need to support your application and and, and what 
pass allows you to do is say if you are uh, used to deploying your applications in against say Apache Tomcat or some uh, enterprise application server such as Glassfish Pariah then you can take that war file web web archive file and you probably need to make some modifications right you can execute that war file in the cloud um on say if it's a spring application in cloud foundry um Pass is an interesting idea because there are several types of this sort of platform as a service. So you, so a platform uh, is VizAV, Java Enterprise Edition. Um, there are certain cloud providers such as J Elastic who claim they will that will allow you to execute your war file with minimal configuration changes so take that with a pinch of salt um of course you would be writing your web applications java ee applications in a manner so that they are microservices uh, compatible and don't share state and these are the technical ideas um, Oracle even has a cloud um, for that's a pass um, so does IBM so it's quite a popular space for um, executing at least Java enterprise applications of course you've got Red Hat with um, uh, OpenShift however a, ward, a warning here to budding application architects um, there is no standard there's no Java EE standard for cloud as of yet so take it, everything I said, with a pinch of salt and go and do your research and have a look around at which cloud providers and their various solutions actually fit. Not your idea of technical brilliance, but actually the customer's um, <laughs> development and infrastructure profile. And finally, the other one is SaaS, Software as a Service. And this is an easy one. This is, um, think of Google Mail or Yahoo Mail. Uh, it's distributed. It's a, a whole cloud application uh, running in cyberspace inside a cloud somewhere. Uh, and it's a service so Salesforce or QuickBooks uh, these sort of things are services or SageBooks for um, business accounting will allow you to execute your payroll payroll um, in a distributed environment so you don't have need a um, you don't need your um, you don't need your own data center to um to effectively execute payroll 
Um, so these are nice ideas. So software as a service, um, yeah, it's generally Google Documents and uh, is a really great example of this sort of idea. Um, and obviously uh, you really are taking advantage of uh, in software as a service of the two other uh, um, models such as you know, infrastructure as a service and of course platform as a service if need be. So I've covered IaaS, SaaS and PaaS. So um, and here I'm going to take a little short deviation and talk about the advantages of cloud computing. So obviously, in the last example, uh, Google Mail, I'm sure you agree, is an example of a fine um, SaaS. It's it's both obvious, uh, Google Mail and remote e email. Uh, it's obvious and it's meaningful and it's compelling. Uh, you know, it's really having the ability to look at your email from any computer, from any phone, from, say, any tablet, and be able to send and reply and read email is really great. Uh, and so it effectively demonstrates uh, cloud computing and it means that your data is not necessarily on your home computer. It's out there in cyberspace and preferably securely, uh, preferably behind some kind of firewall and not easily hackable. Uh, so cloud is really great because it gives you uh, the idea of distributed data and functionality and it allows you to watch videos from Vimeo, YouTube, uh, you can even play music in the cloud using Spotify or SoundCloud, excellent examples of cloud computing. It provides instant convenience for the consumer and, and for businesses. Instead of, say, purchasing a data server center uh, and computing and all the infrastructure and the software that you need to provision um, these servers, uh, you can effectively, at a click of a button, spin up 50 servers that you need for, say, the next day's operation or when you know or when you see a spike or when your startup actually takes off, you know you if you've written your enterprise application correctly. Um, and that's a, a provisor here then in theory and hypothetically you can scale up to match the, the demand and if that demand suddenly tails off um, and you didn't quite make it you can uh, 
then reduce the number of services and resources that you need. So cloud has that convenience. It it comes at a price though. Uh, instead of you're not uh, your business is not paying upfront for a data center. The business model is different. It's actually subscription. So effectively, you're you don't own the asset of the data center as part of your core business. You're effectively renting the the data center and the virtual PCs and the network in the cloud and the distributing computing platform. A big disadvantage is that for businesses now, consumers really want to know where is their data and increasingly so in the future with the new legislation, the European legislation um, for uh, data privacy will come out and even if we leave and we we are going to leave the Britain is going to leave the European Union um, people are still going to demand where our data where their data is kept and so cloud makes uh, storing data in the cloud provide is a huge step of concern for many regulators uh, stakeholders, government officials, and businessmen, people, as well as privacy advocates, aficionados, and advocates for defending um, the rights of the consumer and the internet. Um, and this will be really uh, true uh, because. Uh, Britain and American companies sometimes have these safe harbour agreements where data ought not to be transferred outside of the European Union or across the transatlantic, but it's through certain unscrupulous hacking events. Uh, this has shown to be the case where data... Uh, British data has been uh, highlighted in the um, the hack of Equifax and people have been concerned. So there's the data issue here. The other drawback is, of course, the cost, the ongoing subscription. And finally, uh, one must consider uh, what would happen if Amazon Web Services actually failed, AWS suddenly became very expensive or it failed or and maybe both. Uh, what could you do to move from, say, AWS to, say, Microsoft Azure or Google Cloud compute um, th these are serious questions for the business and the stakeholders of these businesses 
Um, of course, technically, from the infrastructure, with this sort of power, uh, there is complexity and in, in understanding exactly what you have sitting up there as terms of configuration, services, firewalls, network, uh, data stores, queues, and, and other bits and bobs that you have flying above your head in the cloud. Uh, there is a complexity cost there and, and a challenge and opportunity for site reliability engineers, platform engineers like myself, as well as um, the odd Java developer. Um, it's uh, cloud provides challenges. And so to summarize, uh, cloud computing is allows, say, businesses and and their business applications to grow, to scale up or down at short notice. Uh, it's pay as you go. You only pay for what you use. Uh, it means that you're using a cloud provider. Uh, you really need a service level agreement with, say, Amazon. Um, there potentially a big pro is, say, lower upfront costs to build a cloud native application. And there's definitely reduced infrastructure costs. And if you think about it, if a business had to kit out a data center in the same way that they used to, uh, if they had to kit out a data center with the same resources that they now can do at a click of a button in in uh, in the cloud, it would take months and months of expertise and people and resources. Uh, and there's uh, another final payoff. It's if you're using a public cloud in particular, um, there is the uh, a green benefit. If you're expeditious and expedient with your infrastructure, you know exactly where it is being used. And if you're going to be sharing that cloud infrastructure, uh, albeit in a virtual private network with other people who are using the cloud, quote unquote, and therefore it's greener. It has lower carbon emissions. So your data might be in the Fords of Norway, if you so choose it to be, and you're sharing lower uh, energy costs. Um, the cons and the drawbacks are uh, you've got long-term operating costs, uh, so that it's higher. Um, it's unclear in the long term and in the very long term if cloud systems actually work out uh, 
expensive. We've only had Amazon EC2 since um, 2003, 2004. Uh, it means that for businesses, they have to choose Amazon Web Services or be tempted by Microsoft Azure. I'm not sure if many businesses are relying on Google Cloud Compute for their operations, but I'm sure a few have maybe disaster recovery plans should any of the popular two suddenly get expensive or fail. Um, and there's a risk because of the non-standardization of these services. There's a temptation to use the propriety and APIs that will give, um, make your enterprise application vendor locked. Um, and, and for an infrastructure as a service, this is really important. If you are using platform as a service, a path such as say Cloud Foundry, Cloud Foundry or Heroku, you may be able to write some architectural software abstractions around the these services. If you suddenly had to exit from one cloud provider to another, um, one potentially with cloud providers have to watch the kind of services that your enterprise application actually depends on. Um, if they suddenly stop using a feature that you heavily depend on, what happens then? Um, I've talked already about the privacy and security risk of using and putting very highly regarded secure data on someone's uh, else's system in the cloud and you have no idea where this data is flowing to or even if it is pinned to a region or geographical zone or not. And of course, this is important to governments, of course. Um, Um, there's a question uh, on the cloud computing about, I guess, the green and aspects of how this is helping the environment. I think that because you're sharing these services and people such as Amazon are becoming more expert in how to build these server farms and secure the data and use the energy of the planet, I think uh, you're, because you're sharing that information and that data center and that cost, um, machines should be, be maximally utilized and, and you don't have hardware um, dumps where you know, if if a disk drive fails in a data center, it has nothing to do with your core business. Amazon will look after it or should be looking after it for you and they will replace that disk drive as in their want, really. Um, 
the other obvious drawback is that your business using the cloud is dependent on the internet and reliable, uh, high available, high speed connections. And potentially that is not a bad thing as as well, since uh, most of the world, at least in the Western world, has 4G connections. And already in South Korea, they will have 5G connections. And, and so it really points to a connected world. I suppose the only drawback back with the cloud in this case is where you really want... Um, your own solitary confinement and privacy where nobody can reach you, where you want complete downtime and disconnection from the internet. And I suppose that's a, a social and economic and psychological concern. So I've covered cloud computing from a lot of aspects now um, as generally the technical side so starting from the historical side uh, I hope that is clear or where we came from data processing through to grid computing SETI um, and even that the idea of SETI is making a wondrous uh, comeback if you understand the idea of lambdas or distributed functions um, then it's all coming history is repeating itself but I should digress so I am supposedly summarizing I've cover, covered um, the service models um, IS PASS and SAS and then we looked into the pros and cons of cloud computing. And so that's it. Uh, happy holidays. Enjoy your day wherever you are in the world and make it a good one. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. This is an episode of the Pilgrim Engineering Architecture Technology Podcast. My name is Peter Pilgrim, yours truly. This is licensed under the Creative Commons license. You can copy the data and the information, but you must always attribute the source. You can follow me on Twitter, and I recommend this, at Peter underscore Pilgrim. And you can find my blog and website at www.zenonique.co.uk forward slash blog. Keep on rocking and I'll see you on the other side in 2018. Happy holidays. Bye. Wow, 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 wow.